Hey, this is Matt from Star Tours. You're listening to the Mousecapades podcast. You're at the right place at the right time. You found the number one podcast that entertains the space between your ears. It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I hope you enjoy the show. If you're like me, you're going to laugh a lot. We invite you to pull up a chair. Be guess. Relax and get ready to take a trip to the vacation kingdom of the world. So, grab your magic bands and your Mickey ears. Here we go. Because it's time for another episode of the Mousecapades Podcast. It means no worries for the rest of your days. is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Happy Monday, Mousecapades listeners. We hope you had a magical weekend. This is Vicki, and I'm here with Kaylee. This is episode 365. I am so excited because we are going to be sharing the history of the Tower of Terror with you today. You are listening to the number one podcast that entertains the space between your ears, the Mousecapades podcast. Before we start the history of the Tower of Terror, we would like to encourage you to check out our friends at WaltExpress.com for Disney deals, tips, tricks, and all things Disney. The current blogs that are up right now are Celebrate the Candlelight Processional at Epcot, by Lindsay Martin and Disney's Hollywood Attractions with Young Children by Vanda Bean. Where's a place you can travel to that's bizarre, fascinating, and creepy all at the same time? The Hollywood Tower of Terror, of course. Since it's Halloween season and Nick covered the Haunted Mansion, I thought it was only fitting to cover the history of the Tower of Terror. As you can guess from its name, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, it is inspired by the classic television series, The Twilight Zone. The plot of the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror follows the tragic night of October 31st, 1939, when lightning struck the building. Five people were aboard an elevator as the building was struck, causing the elevator to freefall. The Hollywood Hotel closed following these events, but has reopened, allowing new guests to experience these haunting events. Just in case you haven't been to the version of the Tower of Terror, oh, to a version of the Tower of Terror, we thought we had better paint a picture of what you see so you kind of feel like you're with us. Because I know some people haven't been 
to Disney World or any Disney place that has a, a Tower of Terror, and I didn't want them to not have a visual of what this looked like. So you get to visualize it however you want, unless you've watched it on YouTube and you already know. So in America and the European versions of this attraction, the guests make their way to Hollywood Tower Hotel through the front gate, and they walk along a cracked, curvy path that leads to the hotel. On the pathway, it's overgrown gardens. There's signs pointing to the stables, a bowling green tennis courts, swimming pools, and a vine-covered pavilion. In most of the parks, the music is from the 1930s jazz music being played. Um, Now, entering through the hotel's front doors, guests encounter an interior design to give the impression that the Hollywood Tower Hotel has been left untouched since the night of its closure. The lobby is covered in dust and draped with cobwebs, and throughout there are other signs of the hotel's abrupt closure. Past the front desk, the main elevators are in a dilapidated state. A sign reads, out of order. Guests are informed by bellhops that their rooms are not ready yet, and they are then ushered into the hotel library, which houses the hotel's collection of books, antiques, an old television set, and various pieces of Twilight Zone memorabilia scattered about the room. Through the library window, guests can observe a severe thunderstorm raging outside. So with crashes of thunder and lightning, the power suddenly goes out except for the television set, which crackles into life, if you can imagine this, and plays the opening sequence from the fourth and fifth seasons of The Twilight Zone, hosted by Rod Serling. The episode goes on to depict the event of a stormy night in 1939 when a lightning bolt struck the tower and caused the five people, a celebrity couple, a rising child star, her nanny, and a hotel bellhop to vanish from the elevator. The television then turns off and the guests are directed through to the boiler room where they await the maintenance service elevator's arrival. In the late 1980s, a second phase of development was being designed for Disneyland Paris, then Euro Disney. Included in the second phase was a free fall type ride in Frontierland that was to be named Geyser Mountain. It would have been part roller coaster, part free fall ride that shot guests up a vertical shaft. The plan was scrapped, but was picked up by Disney's Hollywood Studios, then Disney MGM Studios, as part of a massive expansion to their U.S. park. Several attractions had already been proposed, including Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers, which would be later made into Indiana Jones Adventure at Disneyland. MGM still needed a major e-ticket attraction. The idea of a drop shaft ride came up and was chosen. There had been several proposed ideas for haunted attractions, including a ride based on Stephen King's novels, a Vincent Price ghost tour, a Mel Brooks narrated ride, a real hotel, and a whodunit murder mystery, but none progressed into development. Interesting thing, Kaylee. I don't know about you, but I was thinking about this when we were researching this. I don't know that I want to be on a roller coaster that automatically shoots me up vertically and free falls me down. I've done both. I've done a free fall, uh, Six Flags, or yeah, Six Flags used to have something like that. And I've done roller coasters, but I don't know that I want to do both. I can't even think to, I can't even begin to imagine how they would do that, physically build a ride that could do that. It's Disney. They can do all things. That's true. So the Walt Disney Imagineering people eventually took inspiration from Rod Serling's anthology stories featured in Twilight Zone as a foundation for the story. The Imagineers mused that the attraction would be able to take guests into the fifth dimension that Serling always described as unlocking in every episode of his series. With the project in firm development, Disney licensed the rights to the Twilight Zone. 
Imagineers actually watched 156 episodes of the series to be as accurate as possible. The Imagineering team settled on a 1930s-era Hollywood hotel with a Twilight Zone theme, but a new ride system had to be built, which would allow both more capacity inside the ride, but make the ride drop really fast. Now, Otis Elevator Company created the vertical ride system, and Eaton Kenway, a ride vehicle that could drive itself horizontally, Joe Dante directed the ride's short pre-show film. Imagineers didn't just want the attraction to consist of a free-falling elevator. It needed to drop at a rate faster than gravity. An Imagineer said that, if my tie doesn't fly up in my face, it's not good enough. The result of this idea was the elevator being pulled down at around 30 miles per hour. To add more thrills and spooks, themes of the Twilight Zone were added to the design of the hotel. The archival footage of Rod Serling used in the pre-show was taken from the episode, It's a Good Life. Hollywood, 1939. Amid the glitz and the glitter of a bustling young movie town at the height of its golden age, the Hollywood Tower Hotel was a star in its own right, a beacon for the show business elite. Now, something is about to happen that will change all that. Time is now on an evening very much like the one we have just witnessed. Tonight's story on the Twilight Zone is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. This, as you may recognize, is a maintenance service elevator, still in operation, waiting for you. We invite you, if you dare, to step aboard because in tonight's episode, you are the star. And this elevator travels directly to the Twilight Zone. And this was interesting to me, Kaylee, because I don't think that I realized until I read this that we were actually being pulled. I thought they were just dropping the elevator like they, you know, because that's what they tell us they're doing. But you're actually being pulled the other direction. I only knew because Joey loved the ride so much he had researched it and told me. And I think he told me before we got on or right (laughs) after. I don't remember. It was probably right after because I didn't really want to get on it. And then after he's like, they're actually pulling you down. I'm like, good to know. (laughs) <laughs> after I got off and was traumatized, I did ride it a few times after that. But I do think it's interesting that the more he rides this ride, uh, the less he likes it. I think. That's true. I think it's starting to get to him. Yeah. He's getting older, and I don't think he can handle the it The thrill much. of it is uh, a little more than his little tummy can take. But So Disney felt Rod Serling really needed to be part of this attraction, but he had died almost two decades earlier. And in order to have Serling in the attraction, Disney opted to have auditions to cast his voice. And they had his wife, Carol Serling, come in, and she chose from the different people that came. I thought that was... That was smart on their part, because who better is going to... Like, who's going to know his voice? I mean, even the people that watch the Twilight Zone, nobody's going to know his voice better than his wife. Right. So they eventually hired this man named Mark Silverman, and, and he played the voice and was used later for other stuff, too, beyond Tower of Terror. Excuse me. Silverman would later reprise the voice role for additional lines for the Disney's California Adventure attraction that was Tower of Terror. So the site clearing started, and the prep began in 1992. But they had a sinkhole that caused a problem for them, so they had to move it over just a little bit. The towers in Interior and landmarks included things from the Biltmore House, or the Biltmore Hotel, excuse me, the Mission Inn, the distinctive Spanish colonial revival architecture features on around the attraction's roof was designed so that the rear facade 
which is visible from Epcot, would blend with the skyline of the Moroccan Pavilion in Epcot's World Showcase Lagoon. We actually knew this part, Kaylee, because you can, uh, now that people have pointed it out to us, that we can see that from the back of Morocco, you can see that. Now, they're starting to add more into the World Showcase, so I don't know if eventually it's just going to blend in and you're not going to notice it at all. But uh, someone pointed that out to us. Hey, did you know that the Hollywood Hotel is painted so that it matches the Moroccan Pavilion so people don't realize it's two different places because they're so close together as far as uh, the land? After the construction ended, the ride was initially set to open on July the 4th of 1994. However, the Tower of Terror actually opened on July 22nd, 1994, along with the entire Sunset Boulevard thoroughfare. Which I feel like that was smart because that was almost then for Disney's MGM. It was their version of Main Street. So it was like you walk down that pathway and then you see that tower and it's another kind of here's a long street, but at the end, here's the huge ta-da. attraction we want you to look at. Yeah, it's the ta-da moment. The ride system of the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror at Disney's Hollywood Studios employs specialized technology developed by Walt Disney Imagineering, particularly the ability to move the vehicle in and out of the vertical motion shaft. The elevator cabs are self-propelled automated ride vehicles, also known as automated guided vehicles, which lock into separate vertical motion cabs. The cabs can move into and out of elevators horizontally, move through the fifth dimension scene, and on to the drop shaft. And that's different than uh, the one at Disney World, at Disney Hollywood Studios in Florida is different than the one that they had at California Adventure, which you mentioned to me last night, too, was that... Um, it doesn't move all around. It just drops. It just drops. And for us, we don't know any different because we never rode the one in California before it became Guardians of the Galaxy. And so um, we didn't know that it didn't come out and move through this fifth dimension and then go into the shaft. It's when you go into the shaft that you know your stomach's about to go into your throat. Yeah. I feel like it adds a whole element. I don't know what it would be like to ride it where you just go up and see the different scenes and then you drop. I feel like the moving definitely sets the tone a little. Well, yeah, it makes you anxious. I mean, you're sitting there the whole time. The first time that I wrote it with Joey, he was narrating it for me. Oh, it's not yet, Mom. It's not yet. It's not yet. And I was like, be quiet. But this lady behind us, it was her first time too. And she's like, let him talk. She was happy that he was narrating it for us so that it made him feel better. I should have made him write it with your dad. Although I narrated it for him when he wrote it for the first time. And uh, it still didn't help. He, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad Dad decided to do it at least once because... That's what he told me when you and Joey were on it. When he decided, he said, I know I'm not going to like it, but I got to do it. He said, I got to do it once just to see what it is. Um, and he he was very right. He did not like it, but he got to see it at least. Um, I don't know how much he remembers because he was probably so anxious the entire time. But he was screaming like a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he was. Slash laughing, I'm sure. To oh, I was compensate, laughing. But yes, I, I do think the moving scene... For somebody who's never ridden it, you start moving forward and you just think, this is it. What is this? Well, for me, almost, I didn't realize we were going to move. And I know Joey was still narrating, but I didn't realize we were going to move forward. Because if he said it, I probably just thought, okay, whatever. I thought, we're just going to drop. But then we started moving and I was thinking... I don't know what's going on. Right. It it definitely, I mean, it's a really fun ride. I don't know um, if he doesn't want to ride it anymore. I don't know that my heart will break because I have rode in enough times mm-hmm. now that I know. And if somebody goes with us that wants to ride it, I would ride it with them because I don't want them to not have that experience. But um, 
especially if Nick goes and we get Nick to go on it because that would be amazing because oh, um, him writing down the chicken elevator is not the same as him dropping down from the Tower of Terror elevator. I love how he tries to compare that. But his friend Andrew, our, our friend Andrew from KC keeps him in check because um, even he knows that the chicken elevator is not the same thing as the Tower of Terror elevator. So in order to achieve the weightless effect, the Imagineers desired, they had to attach cables to the bottom of the elevator, which we were talking about earlier, to pull it down at speeds slightly faster than what a free fall would provide. So they have two enormous motors at the top of the tower. They measure 12 feet tall, 35 feet long, and they weigh 132,000 pounds. And I was thinking about that, Kaylee. You know, they, they always, you know, worry about the elevator, regular elevators just dropping out. I thought if that motor ever got loose, I mean, that would crush someone for sure. Or someone, many someone. Wow. What a positive outlook, mother. I wasn't trying. I'm just saying, when I was doing this, I was like, uh, maybe well, I won't ride that ride anymore. We're just going to not think about that because safety at yeah. Disney is very good about yeah, it. That's right. So they're able to accelerate 10 short tons at 15 times the speed of a normal elevator. They generate 275 times the torque that a Corvette engine does, reaching top speed at 1.5 seconds. The ride slogan is never the same fear twice, and it refers to the drop pattern being randomly selected by a computer before the ride begins. The drop reaches a top speed of 39 miles per hour, which, boy, does it feel like a lot faster than that when you're in there and your stomach's going up and down. That's true. Um, And so, listeners, if you've been listening a long time, you may or may not have heard this, but uh, two years ago when we went is when Brad tried the Tower of Terror for the first time. And it's usually because Joey rides it twice. We usually just switch armbands and uh, we ride it again. But that particular time, they had done six uh, drops for us. Like, we went up, we went down, and he was like, oh, we're done now. And then we went up and down again, and then he was, like, freaking out. And so then when we got off, he was not up for riding again, which is why Brad rode it with me a second time. But... um you just don't know. The mo- the least, I think, is three, and the most you can drop is six up and down. It That was pretty intense. I think that's the most I've ever done. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the reasons Joey doesn't like it is because Joey's all for trying new rides, but then once he tries it, he likes the predictability. This is true. But I think it's the fact that he doesn't know what's going to happen every time. He doesn't like the feeling of not knowing, and I think that's what it is because he'll ride everything else. That he know, like he rides rock and roller coaster, and there's not tons of intense rides. But on Space Mountain, even though there's two tracks, they're just mirror images of each other, and he'll ride that, and he knows what's going to happen. And I think it's the unpredictability that he doesn't like. It may be because he may have prepared himself like with his stomach and his mind mm-hmm. or whatever. But yeah, that time really shook him up, and I was like, that was crazy. And he was like, yeah, I'm not doing this again today. <laughs> so, but after the elevator cab has completed the ride, it propels itself to the unload dock and then back to the show shaft. And the Florida ride runs on a unique loop system different from the versions in California, Paris, and Tokyo. So they're always moving. And I think it must make the line move faster in Florida than it does in the other places. We don't know because we've not rode anywhere but Florida. That's true. While we were researching, we found some interesting facts about the Tower of Terror. So the tower only goes up to 199 feet tall because if it had been built up to 200 feet, airplane beacons would have had to been added and they didn't want that to ruin the uniqueness of it or the uniqueness um the effect right so and we know that. this actually because we have lights that beam off of our church 
and we had to go through the aviation system. We actually have lights so that the police, I mean, so that the air, so the police, <laughs> so the airplanes know that it's, it's not like a, SOS or anything like that. It's just a light that shoots out. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so they all, uh, three lights shoot up and they meet together. So they're one. And it's a really cool effect. But when it first happened, it was um, a lot of paperwork. And so I'm sure that would have ruined it for Disney as far as, well, could you imagine if you saw that blinking light at the top of the Tower of Terror? It yeah. would be a little something of the magic for you. It wouldn't be very ominous anymore. Right. If you take a look at the inspection certificate right before you enter the ride elevator, via the hidden magic of Walt Disney World by Susan Venice, the number is 10259, the numeric version of October 2nd, 1959, which was the date the first Twilight Zone episode aired. I thought that was really cool, and I want to definitely check that out when we're there, because I don't think that I ever knew that. Yeah, and they're all about hiding stuff. Every I feel like there's probably never-ending things that well, you could find in a ride like that. While I was doing some of this research, I found like, hidden Mickeys, but I felt like I didn't know if we had time in the episode to keep talking about all that, so I didn't do that. Maybe I should have. Who knows? Now, if you're familiar with the Twilight Zone, you might recognize props from some of the episodes, including the demonic pop-up device above the bookcase, the metal robot, and an envelope with the name Mary on it. So they that was very cool. I mean, totally Disney, of course, trying to make it look like the Twilight Zone show, which I know you probably have never really seen other than what's at... Hollywood Studios, right? I've seen a couple. I remember in middle school, we watched one for a specific reason. I cannot tell you the reason, but we watched one. <laughs> it was odd. It was different. Because your teacher liked it, probably. I mean, it was in English, so I'm sure it was something we were analyzing. It. Oh, probably. probably. We were probably analyzing, like, the fourth wall where he talks to the camera. Oh, since okay. He's that kind of thing. Maybe I'm thinking way too far because maybe a middle schooler wouldn't talk about the fourth wall. I don't know. You've been in school so long now, it's all just running together. Yes. But... I love how they took the uniqueness from Twilight Zone and actually added it into the ride. That does make it more unique and also realistic for us thinking that we're going into the Twilight Zone, especially for people who used to watch that show like my parents did. So you may think that the old furniture throughout the hotel looks actually antique, and that's because much of it is. According to DisneyParks.com, much of the furniture was purchased from the Los Angeles area auction houses. Again, Disney trying to be authentic. Yes. To the point, you know, I mean, I'm sure that some of the costumes that they use in, in shows and things are from old times, but a lot of times they have to recreate everything, especially for movies, live action movies when they're going back like Mary Poppins and stuff. Um, but smart to go to Los Angeles because, you know, they're going to be having that stuff at Goodwill and auction houses and stuff that they can find things that look authentic to that time period. Mm hmm. Well, we talked about this a little bit, but two additional drops were added to the elevator of Disney MGM Studios Tower of Terror after it opened. The ride went through another refurbishment in 1999 to add even more drops. And finally, on December 31st, 2002, Disney added advanced technology to the elevator, allowing completely random drops controlled by the attraction. You'll always get a different experience at the Hollywood Studios version, and it is Again, the only one that offers this. Yeah, it. I forgot that we talked about this, but yeah, it's crazy. I, I think that I've done three. Most of the time I remember doing four drops, but that one time was six and it was 
It was a little much. And so... I kind of just try to get through the ride. I don't even count. Just prepare yourself for three and know you can go as many as six. (laughs) And it's just the man behind the computer that gets to decide. Not even the man. It's the ride. This is true. So if you try talking to one of the bellhops with gold epaulets, according to The Hidden Magic of Walt Disney by Susan Venice, these are original Tower of Terror cast members. Think of all the spooky stories they'll have to tell. So they've been working since it opened, which is... 94. Yeah, before I was born. (laughs) And they have to think up stories to tell. They're good at that. That's um, That's why when Nick goes to be our guest, he likes to ask the cast members what they were before... They were got to become back and be a person. So that would be fun. We've never done that. We should totally ask them. Yeah, because I wonder if it's one of those things, and maybe it varies per cast member. Yeah. But I wonder if they actually enjoy getting asked those because they pre-think of them or if it's kind of an annoying thing and some people think, oh, now I got to just come up with something on the spot. I'm sure most of them probably come up with it in advance and they answer with no hitch. I mean, I would love to say, were you there the night of the elevator getting electrocuted by the lightning and just see where they go with it? I mean, because it is fun to see and you know that if they're... they're asking you to do this, they must have prepped them to be thinking about stories that they could be saying. That's true. I almost feel like it's like having a sarcastic conversation between friends, but they're getting paid to do it. And it's just almost how creative can you guys get between each other without breaking character almost. Yeah, that that is awesome. It's kind of like when also when Nick asked Snow White to marry him Mm -hmm. and she's like, I already have my prince and stuff like that. So... Yeah, that's always fun. You should try that when you go in. Well, we hope you enjoyed this brief but fun history of Tower of Terror. And be sure to listen to Wednesday's show as we dish out all our latest rumors and news. If you're interested in becoming a guest on our show or you might have a question or a comment, you can simply text us at 407-674-0414. Or you could email us at mousecapadespodcast at gmail.com. Or if you would like to book a trip or just want a free quote, text us at 407-674-0414. Or you can contact us at travel at mousecapadespodcast.net. Check us out on our social media accounts. Instagram is mousecapades underscore Nick. Or our Facebook page is the Mousecapades Podcast. We also have a Twitter account, Mousecapades Pod. Remember to check out our friends at waltexpress.com for all things Disney. As always, thanks for listening to the number one podcast that entertains the space between your ears, the Mousecapades Podcast. Well, Kaylee, I think it's about that time. Peace, love, and pixie dust. Have a magical day, my friends. You've been listening to the all-new Mousecapades Podcast. We are guests. Put our service to the test. If you have questions, comments, or would like to be a guest on the show, please visit our website. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. And have a magical day.